Hey everyone, welcome to the 36th edition of Clarity Chat. I have with me Arvind Shivaramakrishnan, CIO of Apollo Hospitals. In today's session with Arvind, we will talk about his experiences of revamping and rebuilding the hospital electronic record systems, being more meaningful in care delivery with technology infusion. We will hear his passion for helping the vision of a society where great doctors with augmented intelligence transcend geographical boundaries to deliver care. He will also share how publishing your successes and being explicit is important as a CIO. This is the 36th episode of Clarity Chat podcast and here comes an exciting discussion with Arvind. Arvind, uh, before we start talking of serious things, uh, let's have a bit of a fun start to our chat. Uh, please share your fun story of uh, joining Apollo, where both of you guys had a wow on both sides. Did you know that 83% of technology implementations fail to achieve expected business outcomes? Well, managing technology is incredibly complex. IT covers all processes and everything IT does impacts people in some way. The function is only three decades old, but changing at the fastest pace. Technology industry is highly profitable with intense marketing. Tech companies have the vast majority of the tech talent, not you. Clarity Chat purpose is rooted in helping you solve IT challenges for business success, to help you decode the complexity, to help you leverage partners effectively, to help you partner with business more effectively to help you manage change better, to help you attract talent. You get this clarity via experiences of CIOs and business leaders, shared informally and candidly over a cup of tea. Welcome to the Clarity Chat Podcast. Well, uh, fun story is very uh, thing. So I got this call from my, uh, my boss uh, saying, I understand you were looking for uh, something, some opportunities. And uh, how do you like to be part of Apollo? And uh, like, honestly, that was that itself was uh, first get yourself clear. Uh, do you know whom you're talking to? So that you know you quickly get yourself aligned. And uh, the beauty of it was uh, the first question that uh, or the first condition that was put in was the job will be uh, challenging and all of that, but uh, you have to work in Chennai. And I'm like, wow. Chennai is my hometown and I am somewhere there in the US looking to come back to India and somebody telling me you got to work back in your hometown. So instantaneous yes, Chennai anytime. I know, uh, not sure many of you will uh, agree with uh, Chennai anytime as a thing, but I'm a Chennai guy, uh, thing completely brought up here. So somebody offering me uh, working back in hometown anytime. So that was, that, that really summed up why I accepted uh, coming back here, uh, difficult to refuse uh, options. I uh, know, absolutely. And I think I, th- I think the, the bit of that apologetic nature was that, you know, coming back from uh, from US, uh, would you rather want to be in a, in a, in a, in a city like Mumbai or a, or a Bangalore? And Absolutely. not Chennai, and I think I think that was a good uh, you know, match on in both a time sides. where uh, IT is uh, making rounds, and and that time it was Bangalore versus Hyderabad. You know, uh, everybody talking about the great things going on in Hyderabad, and obviously Bangalore 
uh, no, most uh, spoken of as the software capital and uh, lots of uh, you know uh, growth happening in Gurgaon side also. So with these three going on and somebody telling you got to go back to Chennai, uh, you know, automatically uh, you you expect somebody to uh, to kind of you know frown or say Chennai is it and all that you know. Absolutely, absolutely. So Arvind, uh, thanks for sharing that. That gets us on an energetic start. Even though my video is not as energetic, I can understand. Uh, um, so for any for everyone out there. I'm actually uh, in the process of relocating tomorrow to Pune, so I've got my house packed, and and I think in the process, you know, there's something uh, happening with my network. But I'm told that the voice is fine, so guys, please don't mind the video. In fact, I'll be switching off the video in between, and I'll let Arvind hog the entire screen. Uh, but wait for that. So uh, let so let, let's really uh, get started now. Arvind's philosophy, which inspired me, was that the speed of information is very important. In fact more important than anywhere else in uh, healthcare. The information gets still very fast uh, and it's literally a matter of life life and death. And I, I think we'll hear from him as we go uh, into the session. So, um, you know, as far as our audience is concerned, uh, analytics that we get from LinkedIn says that we have CXOs, founders, IT managers, technology managers, project managers, technology sales, uh, a good variety of, uh, I would say, serious stakeholders joining this chat here with a common agenda, which is learning the art of finding success with technologies. So before uh, going ahead, I would request our audiences to share their name and where they are joining from in the comment box on LinkedIn or YouTube. And uh, may ask a couple of questions. As I and Arvind get a little boring, we'll get it exciting with pulling your names up. So, but then thanks again, uh, everyone for attending. And uh, I should also say thanks to all the people who watched the recording because I, what I see is that within 24 hours of the chat, we have 10 times more people you know, who have uh, watched it compared to the people watch, watching live. So let's begin the session. Uh, Arvind, uh, let's begin with a, a quick recap of your childhood. No, when you were a teenage, did you ever dream of making a career in technology? Anything that pulled you towards technology? Well, I I am from uh, from a from an army background, so dad is an army officer. I've been through discipline. I've been through following uh, good uh, you know rules. I've just been a a good student. Trust me, I never thought of uh, making a career in technology or or. Uh, wanting to be one engineer you know just went with the flow honestly i it'll be unfair for me to say that uh, you know this were uh, thought of right from the childhood mm. but went with my flag so where i thought i would feel more comfortable where i thought i was uh, a little more uh, at ease with my uh, comfort of my knowledge and my ability to learn also so that's really what uh, uh, took me into an engineering background mm -hmm. i spent uh, uh, all my schooling and my college life in Chennai, so always been a Chennai guy, and uh, that's uh, and uh, uh, more aligned towards mathematics and science. So, uh, so that was my logical entry into engineering, mm -hmm. uh, more towards maths and physics, and uh, so that's kind of uh, what I why I pursued physics, and then I pursued electronics engineering, uh, and. Uh, and got me into a career where I was looking at uh, defining and uh, using technology for making differences, uh, differences in, in various practices. And that's really how it 
took me into getting to all these uh, through years okay okay so i'm just experimenting trying to increase my <laughs> video as well as you can figure out by putting you on the spot with a solo spotlight so yep. uh, suddenly looking at yourself yep <laughs> yeah i can understand but bear with me i'm i'm trying my hard you know and i can try it actually because you're speaking uh, you're doing most of the speaking so i mean the i mean now, now let's get to a bit of a career overview before we start diving deeper into you know some of these experiences and diving some insight uh, please share with us your different stints and uh, one memorable incident or like you know one highlight from each of the stints so uh, just to give uh, give everyone a uh, overview of your career companies places uh, and 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 one big highlight you know uh, right uh, right after college uh, uh, i joined uh, ramco systems and uh, ramco systems is india's very famous erp company and in those days that was the company that was uh, making erp and making lots of eyebrows raise uh, with good design um, they uh, you know looked at the windows technologies which was at that time uh, flourishing and uh, the moment i joined ramco systems obviously i was uh, i did all my training there and one fine day my boss called up and said there's a small assignment in kuala lumpur uh, it will be a short assignment and uh, we'd like you to uh, do that you know young guy out of college somebody sending you to foreign immediately your eyes glow uh, you think you're in cloud 9 and you don't even think before you say yes i think the yes came out and then you only realize what did you say so uh, absolutely yes i said uh, and uh, so that was my uh, quick uh, uh, move outside the country and that short assignment really ended after four years only and uh, the I, once i went to kl i was there and fortunately uh, my boss there uh, his name is venugopal reddy and then there's another uh, person uh, by name yasin malik who's uh, uh, malaysian there and of course uh, a very good mentor of mine narayan shankar all of them took great care of me i like the place so uh, that's kind of uh, how i started my career uh, with really good mentors who took a lot of interest in me in grooming <clears throat> so a lot of what i am learning today and what i'm able to deliver today is uh, always because of the good uh, advice the good grooming that uh, narayan shankar uh, we call used to call him ns uh staying uh, yasin and venu uh, uh, imbibed in me got me to learn you know uh, they spent a lot of time uh, uh, shaping me up so thanks to them and spent a lot of uh, good moments there finding solutions you know that's where i started learning uh, it's just not about technology but it's about trying to put technology trying to find a solution to solve a business problem and that's really where my roots were in terms of looking at technology not because it's stylish but because it's actually solving a problem and and i really learned at that time that it is not about the grandeur of the solution it's really about uh, it it can be really simple meaning it can be in a notepad or an excel or something like that but it's solving a problem that's really what makes the difference so that grounded me a lot grounded me a lot because i was thinking everything has to be big you know uh, written very complex everything has to have a massively huge algorithm should look super intelligent and all that so that was some fantastic learning from there i moved back to india that's when i joined covances and uh, in those days uh, 
you know, a big IT company uh, doing a lot of, you know, onshore, offshore work. And that's when I got into a, a wonderful outsourcing initiative called Henry Ford Health System. And uh, Henry Ford Health System is one of the largest health systems in the Michigan. Uh, very famous, uh, built with class of, of clinical quality, patient safety, fundamental, uh, excellent governing principles of how health systems run. And that's when they were outsourcing all that initiative. So this is, was the time when outsourcing was, was a big deal. Uh, stuff moving from US to India and this is where we had to take the staff of the Henry Ford Clustering uh, IT, make them as part of the outsourced company of Covances and still function as Henry Ford Health System IT. So, so here I am, my paycheck coming out of uh, Covances but have to behave like I'm a Henry Ford employee. That means you've got the best interest of Henry Ford and you're not thinking of how do I look at a comment or how do I look? Uh, how do I look at a client relationship? That's when you put yourself in the client's shoe, and then you start functioning as them, and you wear that hat on, and it sounds really different uh, as you're behaving and uh, functioning for them, like them, in them, completely imbibed. It's a very different way that I learned in uh, how you can look at uh, solutioning, how you can look at managing business there. Uh, obviously, at that time, I used to take care of other projects. I used to take care of a couple of projects in Japan also. So I was literally following the sun. Even though I was young, it was tiring. And uh, I did request my uh, stream managers at that time to find some sort of a, a more, uh, you know, aligned place than follow the sun. And they did tell me to move to Detroit. So I moved to Detroit and uh, started operating the whole uh, thing. Uh, clinical applications portfolio of uh, Henry Ford Health Systems as part of Covances. Later, it became CSC and all of that. Uh, lots of, you know, it was actually when I joined, it was CBSI. So CBSI became Covances, Covances became CSE. Lots of uh, company changes, uh, same employee number. Uh, so uh, that's fun when you start moving across and you still have same numbers. And uh, it was uh, functioning between the United States and India. With my thing, uh, with a with my role as being uh, a clinical applications portfolio director and also one of the prime advisors to the CIO at that time, and it was also a difficult uh, period in, in the uh, in the economics of the world. That's when uh, you know uh, the the whole uh, you know economic downturn happened in the United States. The whole Freddie Mae, Fannie Mae downturn, which really plumbed the economy. The whole auto industry went going down, and and being in Detroit. With the auto industry going down, you start seeing a lot of stuff that really make a difference in terms of how business is run, how business should be run and should not be run, uh, for sure. And uh, that's uh, the time I spent spent close to about ten years there. And uh, then was like what I said, a fantastic call from India that said, "Are you thinking of coming back to India? And do you think something like this will happen?" And that's when Apollo happened. Uh, absolutely delighted to be here. Uh, spent 10 years with Apollo and uh, always feel young about, uh, always feel we've still got more and more and more to do. Love being in India. And it was, uh, Jagdish, this is the thing also where my career moved from being part of an IT industry, system integrator, uh, solution provider to being, a, you know, the other side of the table where you are expecting solutions from the industry. So that was a good change for me. When I say good change, it took a I must be honest, it took some time to get myself aligned because you're completely on different shoes now. So that's really 
my career span of what and all I did soon after college. Yeah. So, um, uh, Arvind, let me uh, ask, let, let's go a little deeper into, uh, you know, setting up this uh, multinational, multicultural delivery in Kowansis, you know, especially for this Henry Ford HS. You also uh, mentioned to me that, you know, when this, in 2008, when the entire industry was going down and Detroit was like, you know, becoming a graveyard, you know, even then you guys managed to uh, scrape a profit. So tell us about that uh, experience of, you know, how do you set up that? kind of delivery uh, what are some of the you know what do you call it, principles you used uh, and and i guess you have a couple of mentoring stories from there so oh, yes. can... absolutely you know uh, when, uh, it was, uh, it was a, a difficult time in the economy at that time uh, and uh, you know this is when uh, there was tremendous leadership shown by uh, the executive management of Henry Ford Health Systems. You know, the CEO at that time was uh, a very capable and able leader by name uh, uh, Nancy Schlichting. And uh, our CIO was Arthur Gross. And my own boss uh, at that time, the senior director of the, the whole IT portfolio was Jack Malloy. And uh, also we had a fantastic uh, a leadership from the chief operating officer of Henry Ford Health System, who uh, and all of them took very keen interest in technology and quality. And his name was uh, Bob Ryan. And uh, this is when you know when you start looking at outsourcing. The first aspect that all of us made sure we imbibe in is getting aligned to the culture and getting aligned to the multi-culture. So it's not just about us embracing the culture of Henry Ford Health System and to a certain extent, uh, Indians are embracing a US culture also because uh, lots of uh, delivery people come from India. So uh, that national uh, nationalism of different countries and different people uh, needs to be there. And uh, being a multi, uh, you know, uh, uh, national company, we had some of our uh, our colleagues from uh, Singa, from Russia, some of our colleagues were from Brazil. So we had, you know, different cultures of people also. And uh, that's, so the first part is getting yourself as a team and respecting each other's background and figuring out how we can work together by respecting each other's lines of thought. And this is a very personal way of looking at things. And when that happened, uh, automatically we gelled very well as a group that was able to take on problems, figure out how. And when I say take on problems, you know, uh, we were in a very, very legacy environment. In those days, uh, it, uh, our database was not even a, uh, an RDBMS, it was a DBMS, it was called Tandem, uh, built on a mainframe technology or non-stop SQL, fantastic technology, never goes down. And I say never goes down, Tandem uh, was the back end of our electronic medical record in those days. And if you remember, the whole East Coast had a, a power shutdown at that time. You know, uh, once in 2004, 2005, there was a massive power grid breakdown in the East Coast. And still because this was non-stop SQL working and, you know, it had its own hardware and the batteries and all that. And it kept uh, running through that period of about 36 to 48 hours. Uh, that shows the resilience of some of the technology of the yesteryears. It's just not that mainframe is old and this is new and all that. Some of that is fantastically resilient, lots to learn from and uh, enumerate into where we are going also. And uh, at that time, like I said, uh, the economy was going down, the auto industry was down, Chrysler was down, Ford was down, 
In fact, Ford's shares came down to a dollar ninety-eight also at that time, uh, that low, you know. And yeah. all of them yeah. were looking at the government for uh, bailing them out, uh, and uh, the whole uh, you know uh, retired workers of the auto industry and their benefits going down. Very bad state, and and Michigan being the heartland of the automotive industry was obviously feeling all of that. And still. Henry Ford Health Systems, and at that time, all uh, companies were filing for Chapter 11 grant. The focus yeah, that yeah. our leaders showed on quality, the focus that they showed on aligning quality to processes, Six Sigma processes, elimination of waste, powering processes with technology, and bringing the right mix of the human element of healthcare delivery, and the power of technology for automation. That real help firm up the delivery of healthcare and not allowing the economy to bring down the quality of healthcare. And why? Because you're serving a life. And our leaders always told us that remember, whatever you do, it's a life at stake because your application is directly touching a life and your solution is touching a life. So you know that level of maturity was imbibed into all of us. And we also learned very well from our leadership at that time. And uh, and that's when when uh, the balance sheets came out. Uh, Henry Ford made a profit, if I'm not wrong, uh, I think it was about seventy-two thousand dollars or eighty thousand dollars. Anybody wow. basic sense of uh, of uh, money will say eighty thousand dollars. You guys call that a profit, and you're feeling wow. proud of it. Yes, definitely. When the entire industry was filing for Chapter Eleven bankruptcy, when the largest industries were going to the government for bailout. And their share prices had just plummeted to a dollar and less than a dollar also. At that time, going above the zero mark and, and showing profits and keeping the organization without uh, retrenching or removing anybody's employment, without shutting down any business, functioning with efficiency and growing. And that time, we even uh, opened up uh, a new hospital in West Bloomfield uh, and opening a new hospital also. That really showed that the partnership of technology, the partnership of technology with quality, with processes, with the human element of ensuring that we take our teams into all of that. All this coming together and focusing on growth, focusing on business profitability, but at the same time ensuring that the core ethics of an and Henry Ford Health System's tagline was patient first. Ensuring that that patient first tagline is not a tagline, but a culture in every solution that we do. And that's where technology really gets into actual business and technology gets into the culture of how a business functions. That really made a big difference in terms of uh, us figuring out how technology works and, and solutions also. So absolutely enjoyable in terms of how all of that's done. So um, Arvind, uh, another interesting you know facet of your career, which I think our audience can benefit uh, from is that you spent many years in system integrator ecosystem. Okay. And uh, you know, we all deal with them. We sometimes struggle with them. We sometimes succeed with them. So tell us some insight inside stories of how SIs work, what are what are what are those one or two good things about them and what are one or two things where you know you kind of need to keep your guards up or you know where they may need your help. And uh, you know 
you need them for your transformation. So how do you best leverage them for transformation? So I think uh, as long uh, as the system integrator is putting themselves into the shoes of the client and it's it's difficult and why I say it's difficult to the system integrator the moment he gets into a business he starts looking at okay what are my avenues of profitability you know and and it's the right uh, the, the line of thought is right uh, so then they start looking at okay um, how can I you know direct the customer into a direction of my profitability you know because you got uh, when I say my profitability, there are certain uh, sweet spots as a system integrator that you're good at. So how can I start talking to the customer and convincing them to go into uh, what I want them to do? And the moment I get them to doing what I want them to do, obviously, uh, one, I can definitely make profits. But at the same time, my delivery will be good. Uh, and you're di- di- driving them into your sweet spot also because your delivery will be good. Good lines of thought. And this is sometimes where the, the marriage starts becoming a little so because the customer now starts thinking that why is this guy always talking what he wants to do and doesn't seem to be listening. So I think the biggest part of it is for system integrators to listen and understand really what is the problem statement of the customer or the client and then figure out how they can align their core skills or how they can bring on their augmented skills and it's no surprise or thing that you know when these system integrators don't have talent of their own they you know look for uh, for thing uh, subcontracting some of that and it's fine uh, that line of thought is not wrong at all so but alignment so the first part is success is there when the system integrator is putting themselves into the shoes of the customer and by doing so the customer also is spending time in understanding their system integrator so that the customer or the client is really uh, aligning with the system integrator on their uh, uh, sweet spots or their best talent rather than asking them questions in areas where they may not be good and in areas where they may not be good the client can probably go for somebody else as opposed to challenging somebody in a direction where that's not his best delivery point that's not his best capability so this sort of mapping of the mind between the system integrator and the client i think is core to one mutual respect second formulation of solutions that benefit from the best knowledge skill and delivery capability of the system integrator because we also know sometimes during sales cycles i shouldn't say sometimes i don't need to be that uh, polite most of the times in sales cycles we oversell we oversell we say these are our capabilities and we, we unnecessarily paint a bigger than larger than life picture of our capabilities leading the delivery teams to pick up all these words and figure out what happened and then what did you sell like uh, which practice you know you start uh, thinking, uh, and you start thinking Oh, do we have that practice in our organization? Do we have that skill at all? You know, you start thinking, but you can't, you know, blurt that out loudly because it's, uh, it's already been sold and the client is telling you some stuff. So okay. it does happen. It does happen. Let's uh, not uh, see. Uh, again, I won't fault what you know. You the various techniques. Uh, it's just that you need to know your your limits. Uh, but when you start bringing that and the, and 
being on the other side, it's also good for us to understand the system integrator. Obviously, it's for us to be mature, to uh, remove the fluff out of the, the real stuff and start working with the system integrator in their area of skill, in their area of expert. Rather than, I've got one system integrator, let me get the entire world out of the guy. Uh, so that mentality of the client also of, I don't know, for the lack of a better word, sucking everything out of the system integrator, you know, uh, I think it's not healthy. Yeah. Better to keep people in their sweet spots, in their area of expertise, and now suck everything out of them. Uh, because then you're putting them in a place where they are capable of, and you are also capable, you also know exactly what you want and you're talking to an expert. So that mix is a good mix. So yeah. that's really how I see, you know, both sides of it and, and having had the opportunity to be in both sides of the world. Uh, I think those are learnings in terms of how you, you function from both sides. The biggest aspect of it is how you learn to respect the other side and how you work with them in a difficult situation, uh, which is clearly not desired. Many a times it might irritate you to the core, but you still need to find a way out of it and then bring it to a normal. First, you got to find a way out of it and then bring it to a normal. You know, you unfortunately, we just can't jump into the normal and the normal could be sometimes yeah. even dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, uh, yeah, yeah. So I, I think, I think just to summarize and also like, you know, tap into some of my experience also, uh, right in the beginning, you uh, said something, you know, which I want to uh, develop a little bit. You said that, you know, the, the SIs need to understand the customers more. They need to listen more. And we, we know, you know, that the mode that they are in, which is like, you know, uh, starting from themselves. So uh, it makes sense to actually, uh, you know, make them listen. That is, I know, brief them, okay, brief them, tell them the organization context, tell them the organization dynamics, tell them, tell them where the, you know, pressure points are going to come, you know, tell them which stakeholders are more powerful, which ones, uh, you know, are going to, which ones are more savvy, okay, and, you know, prepare them to deal with your organization, because once they come in, they will deal with a lot of stakeholders, it's good to give them a lot of contextual information, which makes them feel like more like an insider. So I think uh, whether they listen or not, I think it's our job to talk and, uh, you know, uh, and, 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 and understand. I, I told a lot of people, you know, don't be surprised that my organization can be more dysfunctional than yours. <laughs> correct, correct, yeah. And uh, no, but I think, I think the other thing that you talked about is, you know, let's be reasonable with each other. Let's be respectful to each other. Let's be empathetic to each other. And, uh, you know, we all must understand that you know, everyone will have a bad day. Sometimes it can be you, sometimes it can be us. And, you know, uh, if, if one beats the other person up, then the other person will get their chance as well. So, so let's make it a more like a partnership rather than, uh, you know, uh, rather, than, like, rather than a, rather than a partner of uh, money and talent. Yeah. But, but very good points uh, there, Arvind, and it clearly shows, you know, your balance of experience on both sides. Meanwhile, we have a question from Amrinder. Uh, he's asking, uh, we've been told that healthcare IT has been traditionally fragmented. Is that so? And how is the healthcare IT evolving today? So, uh, so Amrinder, really, uh, I think uh, I I won't go directly on uh, uh, healthcare IT is fragmented, and the reason I'll say why is uh, it's been evolving and it's been looked at as each area of of the healthcare delivery. So, you know, there's the revenue cycle, 
then there is the ancillary systems like the lab the radiology the pharmacy then there is the outpatient there is the inpatient then there is emergency then there is the operating room then there's surgical and uh, it's a little bit of a western uh, philosophy that each is an application by itself and thereby it starts becoming a spider web of integration between these various applications a mindset and an architecture of the west it's still followed in the west um, decreasing a lot decreasing a lot but if you look at it from the east particularly from india we see healthcare as a whole we see healthcare as a complete delivery of the operational elements of healthcare the supply chain elements and the financial elements of healthcare and the clinical elements and the patient touch point elements so yeah, in india we see a much more holistic way so i would not say healthcare it is fragmented but i would say that it's the way by which people have been looking at approaching the solution and the more you look at it as a whole it becomes and the reason why people have not been looking at it as a whole is sometimes the scope of what you need to do becomes so mammoth that you start breaking it out and that's kind of why people feel something is fragmented versus not but how is healthcare evolving today i think multiple elements efficiency elements of the back office of healthcare the delivery systems of healthcare or the supply chain of healthcare that's one element efficiency elements of the clinical part of the healthcare which uh, more often than not people call electronic medical record that's another part and then the whole aspect of the customer and uh, staying in touch with the customer which is the phr the patient health record the patient facing how you are are in touch with your consumer so i won't call it crm don't mistake me but it's a type of a crm because it's a customer relationship management in a healthcare nature okay uh, not going verbatim on a crm okay so that element of it and even more so because today's consumer is becoming more and more literate uh, thanks to google uh, i won't comment <laughs> more <on> that <laughs> may not be the most appropriate all, I, all doctors complain about it <laughs> i'll refrain but the consumer is aware it's our responsibility to make the consumer literate in the right direction okay? yeah. awareness is not necessarily literate and it's our responsibility to send out that positive communication on education on the state of health on the state of well-being so that's that part of the consumer automatically expects and the biggest part when you're asking how healthcare it evolving is you're dealing with a life so that anxiety is there that anxiety has to map with maturity because that's what you're dealing with and that's the expectation it could be a simple common cold but when i get common cold trust me i bring the roof down right and all of us do and uh, and you are expected that's your that's your consumer expectation so how do you deal with it so healthcare it now with the mixture of digital technologies social mobile analytics cloud iot uh, thing augmented reality virtual reality i can go on and on on all these all these solutions have a fantastic place in healthcare delivery they all need to come together they're not in isolation so please don't think that each can have a life of its own that's a mistake each can have a good connected life delivering fantastic outcomes for healthcare so health it 
very exciting. Uh, yeah. So Dr. Lap Singh is asking a question to you, Arvind. Is uh, and and if you can make this a quick answer, can Arvind speak about how blockchain can help in healthcare services in the coming ten years? Uh, I think blockchain at this point for healthcare, this is my personal view, is uh, pretty premature. But definitely, I I see that blockchain has a good part to play in particularly the uh, patient health records where we can link records and make a better thing. But at this point in time, honestly, uh, I would say that blockchain in healthcare we still in the very very early stage. So uh, I'm not going to be very very vibrant or uh, or gungo about blockchain in healthcare. But uh, I think we need to try a couple of options. Uh, the theory is there. Uh, we need to make the practice work. So, uh, so I'll be a little guarded on uh, what I see as the future of blockchain. I, I I agree with you. Hey, I am your podcast host Jagdish Belwal. I had a rich career as CIO at Tata Motors and GE. Now, as an advisor, I help organizations transform with technology. Technology is necessary for digital transformation, but not sufficient. So I help organizations with the rest of it: leadership, strategy, culture, change management, etc. You can connect with me on LinkedIn and Twitter. For now, keep listening and don't forget to subscribe the podcast and do connect with me on LinkedIn. Now, uh, now that we are like talking about the new technology, so here's my next question to you on uh, on the buzz, uh, you know, in the healthcare industry, which is around, you know, uh, Doctor Watson uh, being able to tell you what kind of cancer uh, diagnosis is. So let me come to the question itself. You know, how do you get the AI, cognitive and machine learning to the front line of healthcare system? Uh, tell us your experience, uh, Arvind. You know, in terms of like you know successes and challenges. Uh, one example of a success and one example of a challenge in bringing AI, ML, and uh, cognitive. I think we've, uh, our uh, success with uh, AIML uh, at Apollo has been fantastic. We've uh, worked very closely with uh, Microsoft, and uh, we've done a very good uh, cognitive learning uh, uh, thing, uh, AIML algorithm around cardiovascular risk score, and looking at cardiovascular risk patterns, particularly in this part of the world, because all literature really has data of the West. So we we'll mined our own data uh, of the last uh, close to about 18 years, uh, thousands and thousands of records that we mined and uh, made cardiovascular risk scoring. So the challenge there is first and foremost the problem. Second, getting our data and training it to the algorithm. Next, working through your algorithms and going through the false positives and getting to a predictive level. Doing enough work to do the retrospect analysis because your algorithm has to generate stuff, and then using the retrospect analysis, check if the results are matching. So literally, uh, we we ran through samples where went through it, sat with the clinical experts, and checked if that was their diagnosis. That's what the outcomes were, and then do prospective analysis. So I think there's quite a lot of challenge in getting the data science. Getting the algorithm fine-tuned, working through the false positives, ensuring that you are consistent in the success levels of the predictive uh, algorithms. 
working with clinical practice to ensure and this is where very strong partnership between data scientists uh, the technologists and the clinical teams and making sure that what we prescribe is part of the clinical routine so i more i would like to call it augmented uh, uh, intelligence than artificial intelligence because uh, it aids the clinician in making better decisions it doesn't replace anybody for anything and that's something that people always have problems so do we have a future for that definitely yes it is not a silver bullet can i get something out tomorrow can i get something out in 3 weeks time absolutely not it takes time to curate a problem statement learn it make it learn make the consistency of it weed out the false positives do your analysis between the prospective and the retrospective ensure that your success rates are good they are measured and then you run your trials in terms of this make sure that it is falling in line with clinical recommendations and now bringing the art of program management in compressing the time schedule and making it as fast as possible but don't approach it as uh, i can write this is not a software program it's a software yeah. program guided with intelligence so it has its period of incubation make that as fast as so yeah. that's so, so, so. yeah so so now now as you as you as you try to bring it into mainstream what is the biggest challenge that you face in bringing ai into the mainstream of healthcare the first part is uh, getting people to trust the results and outcome because people are scared of something being sent out by a system and they obviously question its efficacy and they question its fundamental credibility so it means that you need to curate it with good quality data and you need to curate it with a good sample of data it cannot have a bias if your data is having a bias your results are going to have a bias so you really need to have a bias free good expanse of data you need to have a good check at your algorithm and the nature of false positives and yeah. this is where you need to work with your clinicians and get them to start believing it and that's why i said augmented and not a replacement so arvind uh, now i come to this uh, question you know uh, you know i uh, recently uh, i mean actually uh, quite a bit of last year i was visiting hospital every week for a family member's treatment and i saw that how little technology is used by staff and how much paper is wasted now hospitals are massively people intensive businesses and and managing changes stuff and you just brought out one element of the change is that like you know if the doctor if the doctor has made up his mind that hey you know this this these are the symptoms and this is the problem and let's say your assisted your technology assistance tells him that you know this is something else you know it can become an ego issue right i mean you know i mean my experience or like you know this uh, yes tomorrow's technology right so that brings me to a much larger question you know uh, which is in any people intensive business is the change management so how do you make technology happen at the last mile at the nurses and at the clinicians at the opd level and how do you basically uh, manage change uh, what kind of uh, steps do you take there a simple thing i would say partner in crime okay so <laughs> very nice very nice very effective yes <laughs> so so uh, see change management is when we are looking at it like we are solving our problem so uh, the moment you approach this as i have technology and i'm going to come and teach you you know uh, they're not going to listen to you look i've been taking care of patients for years 
and my patients are doing well so don't come and give me gear so and let's not approach it as i'm bringing in technology to emancipate you because you've been doing everything wrong and here i come the technology messiah willing to uh, waiting to rescue you from all your sins let's uh, that's a fundamentally flawed way so approach it as a collective whole and not approaching it as a technology related intervention though a major part of it could be technology related intervention that means that bringing in all the stakeholders bring them into it because each stakeholder is having a part to play and then formulate those aspects of how your role is changing with this new addition so then you start looking at everybody's role changing and everybody's role changing in full understanding of where we are going next is a worthwhile journey to take and let's all do it so you will be willingly uh, embarking on something where uh, it's different from what you used to do yesterday you might have to upskill and reskill a little bit or change a little bit of your behavioral patterns and uh, it will be much more wholesome when you get the whole group inside and this also helps in solving the kinks because every time our technology doesn't work properly you know uh, uh, it uh, <laughs> it it uh, embarrasses us more than enough when uh, when times are not right and uh, that means like that like 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 just now like just now i mean would you ever expect a chrome browser to would you ever expect a chrome browser to misbehave and you know create the kind of a problem <laughs> and, and, and not only that when you look at okay yes you don't expect chrome to misbehave but also you're bringing healthcare and say hey, do i need to experiment with this patient you know what let's do it later so so that's where when you bring people together you solve problems together and such like unexpected where it beats the norm you don't expect it to function bad but the fact is it is functioning bad the fact is that it is deteriorated it is not fit for production use or live patient care use but still you need to make it happen i think bring people together solve that problem build that circle of trust and build that ability to sustain that circle of trust i think that's really change management uh, not Absolutely. approaching it as one uh, uh, one upmanship is a wrong approach I no i i i would really take that uh, take away you know build a circle of trust and build the capability to sustain the circle of trust it's not a, it's not a one time thing it has to be a continuous engagement so uh, my next question to you was on telehealth and you know it has already come from mohit arbola again you know a regular on clarity chat he says that teleconsulting saw a massive surge during covid pandemic uh, especially doctors in clinics saw unprecedented demand and most of the discussions were held on whatsapp video so his question continues in the second comment he says that will it sustain beyond the pandemic and how can it be formalized beyond the whatsapp videos are you taking any initiative on this now uh, uh, i will add my question to it i think the the the, the telehealth is taking a different dimensions not just like you know i sitting in mumbai consulting a doctor in mumbai but it's like you know somebody sitting in a village you know being able to uh, take a consultation from a doctor in mumbai so you know let's let's bring it all together and just talk to us about you know telehealth and you know how do you multiply the capability of doctors the doctor's time still continues to be a you know a, a constraint so so how so what are the different different dimensions and what are the operations management aspects of it that you have to deal with from a technology point of view two years ago i would have had to sell you 
my response okay uh, and you have listened to me very patiently and said the guy is energetic and he believes in something two years later you have tasted the art of possible two years ago when i told you teleconsulting me inclusive we say great arvin but i'll come to the doctor's office today you have tasted the art of possible in the same quality and clinical effectiveness that actually caters to your health need in a mature manner without compromising anything so we have proved it in shape size design and execution yes of course we were all aided by a lockdown and a physical barrier of physical movement and physical geography constraints because of the world over lockdown but the delivery mechanism is proven and the delivery is consumed also so do i expect to uh, herbola's question uh, do i expect it to continue yes definitely yes do i expect it to continue at the same rate as we have seen in the pandemic definitely no why because now you also got your physical geography opened up so you will make choices between going physical and going virtual uh, and this is where i think we are going to start looking at mature principles of health delivery where if a person need not necessarily visit the doctor is also going to prescribe if i may say so come and see me virtually your condition does not require physical appraisal and that physical appraisal is going to save a lot of movement time and other physical inconveniences that could be caused uh, to the patient and the availability of the doctors also it's not merely about only teleconsultation telehealth is a big subject by itself you got tele radiology telepathology telecardiology tele ecg reads uh, you got telementored surgeries you got e icus where intensivists in one icu are able to take care of patients in another icu so you got e icus and so the 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 aspect of remote healthcare is is expanding and it's expanding with the right elements of governance right elements of delivery the right mix of optimized technology so i won't really call it whatsapp uh, and the reason for i'm not going to call it whatsapp and the reason is bringing in those elements of security and privacy into a healthcare transaction that is required so that aspect of maturity of security and privacy in a wholesome two way or a multi party conversation i say multi party because there could be three doctors uh, yourself and one of your family members also in a clinical consultation of certain nature so uh, bringing in those elements of security and privacy in a bandwidth effective manner i'll be careful not saying light or heavy but effective because it's a clinical transaction and needs that power of bandwidth and the governance of quality and the focus of automated clinical pathway guidelines so that the outcomes of clinical outcomes are not compromised all this coming together i expect remote health to further what is the scale of it going to be i think time is only going to tell us but i definitely feel it's going to be much higher than what we used to experience two years before because now the trust on it as a main stage element is much higher earlier it was one of the minor players 
now we've all tasted it we've all experienced it and we are convinced that it's not frivolous absolutely so, absolutely absolutely where i would say it will be up clearly it's yeah. not going to be levels of the pandemic because obviously yeah so i think i think i think fantastic uh, conversation uh, so far arvind i mean you know talking about you know like from telehealth change management partnering for it you know to how to leverage sis you know to, you know transforming uh, you know uh, the operations uh, you know when you were on the other side uh, great conversation i'm sure like you know we can uh, keep talking but uh, we are like you know just at the end of the hour so arvind um, uh, maybe you know another 5 minutes or so so let's go into the rapid fire round now rapid fire means like you know you have to like answer within like 30 seconds each of you right okay. so, so since you talked about ai now can ai become asi and overtake humans like in fiction movies why or why not absolutely absolutely not this is healthcare and you need uh, a person uh, practicing the art and science of medicine with as many able augmenting tools as possible this is not about one overtaking the other but partnering so that we are able to bring healthcare and quality health not running a science fiction movie no absolutely absolutely yeah i mean you still require some judgment out there right mm-hmm. especially especially when it's like art and a science absolutely absolutely yeah and uh, so uh, what is arvind in personal life hobbies vacation favorites and what kind of movies a little bit of a workaholic but uh, oriented towards uh, carnatic classical music wow. uh, so, so most of time goes in that and uh, vacation spots uh, being a workaholic not very uh, apt at it but uh, loved my niagara falls vacation and my disney world vacation so always my favorite so look forward to any vacation of sorts whenever i'm able to do that and what kind of movies i fall asleep in any movie so so oh. I, language and the type of movie really doesn't matter i fall more, more often than not i fall asleep okay so i'll i'll, I'll, I'll i can i can i can probably assume it on your behalf rajni movies and uh, since you said you are a bit of a workaholic i think you are i will give you a favorite vacation spot marina beach <laughs> All, <laughs> always a chennai guy <laughs> yes okay So Arvind, you were well settled in US. Why move back to India? Always uh, my personal favorite in terms of uh, what I'm comfortable with, culture, people, and uh, my own uh, beliefs and upbringing. So surroundings that are comfortable—that's what is India. Uh, sounds like me. And uh, one thing, healthcare CIOs and their teams should do better or differently. listen to business and not preach technology awesome awesome you talked about it earlier and uh, your best mentor and one mentoring incident i think uh, jack maloy and uh, uh, he kind of taught me how to handle a very large database migration uh, things were falling apart and i think his best advice for me was how to keep my cool and work through the situation with the team and then lose it on the team later for the lapses but first solve the problem in hand and i think ever grateful and thankful to jack malar for that awesome awesome uh my last uh, rapid fire question a short explanation of you mentioned somewhere science of medicine and art of service 
I think uh, this is something that is probably best put in by our own Apollo Hospital's philosophy of tender loving care. So the art and science of medicine comes with compassion mixed with the the effectiveness and efficacy of technology and the charm of the personal touch. Bring it all together and then you have fantastic healthcare delivery. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, I think, I think, I think this is embodied by some of the doctors. So my my son's uh, pediatrician, you know, this guy. Whenever you go to him, you know, he would basically refrain from uh, you know giving medicines. And his simple criteria was, he would say, uh, "Is is is Modit uh, running around? Is he happy? Is he playing around?" Yeah, and he said, "But he has, but he has fever or he has dysentery." Said, Ma- he'll tell my wife, ma'am." It's creating problems for you, not for him. Okay. So his simple criteria was: if the if the boy is playing, if he's happy, he will not produce, he'll not give any medicine. So you know, I think I think we have those doctors, you know, who would bring in that science but deliver it with that art of uh, service. Absolutely. Awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. So Arvind, uh, yeah, we are down to the last one. So that's a I call it the revenge question. I've been asking you questions all through, so your turn to ask me a question. Why do you do this? <laughs> Not the first one to ask that question, though. <laughs> yeah. So I um, uh, one is that okay. So I said something last time, so I'll be a little different this time. Of course, one is that uh, you know it always uh, intrigued me as to why the success rate. Of IT pro- of technology projects is so low because I mean I I personally had a very high success rate so I thought maybe I can contribute something and when I thought about it like you know I figured out that there's so much more to technology than technology itself and you know why not we engage in those conversations with my fellow CIOs now I have been meeting my uh, CIO friends in the conferences. And, you know, sometimes we have really joked about that, you know, nobody in these conferences talks the real issues. And one of the real issues is like, you know, finding success with technology. So I said, uh, seems to be a white space. Nobody seems to be interested in it. Uh, I'm passionate about it. I have personal experiences in making, uh, you know, things successful. I've actually resurrected some dying programs as well. So why not, why not, why not just do this and maybe, you know, like engage the community in uh, in the real I would say the business agenda of technology, which is like, you know, guys, it's not about getting a UAT sign off. It's about like making it work for business benefits. Uh, the other thing, of course, you know, a very uh, selfish one is it allows me to know my fellow CIOs much closer rather than, you know, uh, at the surface. And I really, really learn uh, a lot of things uh, uh, from, from my fellow CIOs. So it's also a great learning experience for me. Oh, <laughs> what a spellbinding and spirited discussion with Arvind. I hope you loved it as much as I did. To listen to more such power-packed conversations, do subscribe to Clarity Chat Podcast. It's available on all major podcasting platforms. In our next podcast, I will host Mayank Bedi, Assistant Executive Director of Dalmia Bharat Group. Watch out for our next Clarity Chat podcast with Mayank. Mm-hmm.